If, uh, if you are helping with the offering, if you could begin to do that now, put those prayer cards and guest cards in. Our students, some of our students made a video, a couple of embarrassing pictures, but watch this video as we take up our offering right now. Fantastic. Pre-K through first graders, now's your moment to shine, all right? If you guys are ready to head toward Elevate for uh, Children's Church, if this is your first time with us and you have a pre-K through first grader, there is no obligation uh, at all for them to go to this Children's Church time, but if that would be a, a blessing to you and your family, you can certainly go toward the spotlight and Courtney will get you checked in. We'd love for you to be able to do that. Michael? Come on up. I know as Michael comes and prepares to preach for us, there's probably a couple of things he'll want to say about Jaron and Emmaus as well. But uh, as soon, let me say this as well before Michael starts. After Michael finishes, we'll have a final song. And during that song, you'll have a chance to respond. If we can pray for you, or if the Lord is calling you to salvation, to come back to him, we'll have a chance for you to respond. 
Immediately after that last song, we are dismissed. But as we're dismissed, you're dismissed to the lobby for a short reception for Jaron and Christine. It's informal. It'll just give you a chance to interact with them. There are a ton of snacks out there that you can grab as, as you're leaving. But slow down your exit. Take a chance to, to greet them, to greet one another, to have some snacks together. And that'll be right after that last song. Michael, I'm out of your way now. It is really a joy and an honor to be able to be with you. Uh, my wife, Marcy, and I serve uh, and, and attend at First Baptist Church of Mustang. Uh, we've been there for 19 years. I had the joy of being on the church staff there for almost 20 years, uh, like, like Jaron's done here. Before moving there, uh, we spent about seven years here in ministry, and this is uh, such a dear, dear place to us. And there are so many uh, memories in, in my mind uh, that, that have been a part of, of my life since I came here in, in 1994. And I just want you to know this is a church that, that is so special to us. This is a church that uh, was my first full-time ministry job. Uh, this is the church where uh, my wife and I uh, got married, where I was ordained to ministry. Uh, and this church has been so faithful to love us and encourage us. And here's the honest truth. Uh, the people of Emmaus believed in me uh, when they had no reason to. I was, I was 20, I had no experience, I had no idea what I was doing, and this church just loved me uh, and continues to be such a great uh, source of encouragement to me. And so for those who were a part uh, of, of my time 25 years ago uh, through when we left in, in 2000, I just want to say how much I love you and appreciate you. And for those who have come since then, I may not know you personally, uh, I, I love your church and I love the people that make up this church. I respect your church staff so much. Uh, I've had the chance to get to know them through the years, and, and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for the work that they do. Um, Owen became a friend of mine when he first moved here. In fact, Owen and I talked some before he actually came on staff here, and uh, I could not recommend this church highly enough to him. And I know that he's got such a great heart. I appreciate his leadership and, and uh, the privilege of being able to call him a friend. Uh, Jim took my spot when I came over and uh, has just been here for a long time himself. Uh, and when, when I found out Jim was the man that God was bringing here, as I was moving to Mustang, uh, I could not have been happier. Jim is, is as you know, a servant, a humble man, uh, a dear friend, and I'm so grateful for him. And, and uh, for Jeff, who serves here, it's been good to get to know him uh, these last couple of years. And Mr. Jaron... Jaron, class of 95, um, when, when I first became youth minister here, uh, he, was, he was the guy who was here. Whatever we did, he was here. He said, whatever I can do to help, I want to do it. And uh, we were having this little Wednesday night youth service uh, in what is now some of the offices. And we just had, I don't know, a dozen, maybe 15 kids that were coming at the time. And, and uh, I said, I want to do some music. Can anybody play? And Jaron said, well, I can kind of play guitar. I can kind of sing. And he said, but I'm, I'm not very good. And I said, it'll be great. It'll be good. We need something, and something's better than nothing. And he said, but honestly, I'm not very good. And I said, I'll bet you're a lot better than you think you are. It's going to go great. And so that first Wednesday night, he brought his guitar, and we did some songs, and he was right. He was right. <laughs> it, was, it was not very good. <laughs> and, and neither was the preaching that followed it, by the way. But uh, I have a cassette tape in my kitchen as we speak. 
uh, that's got some of that music. If any of you like a copy of it, it is for sale. Um, and the pictures up here were good. I've got some better ones where he's really, really young. In fact, Mars and I just looked at a few of them this weekend. If you want to see some of those, we'll sell those too. Uh, I love Jaron. Jaron has been a, a, a faithful friend and, and, a, and a partner in ministry. He served as an intern for us and uh, unpaid and then paid and then he just kind of kept coming around. Eventually had an office and now he just kind of runs the town. So, uh, but I'm so proud of you and, and so blessed to call you my friend. Um, and he would, he would agree with this. Uh, the best thing about Jaron uh, is, is the lady who, who the Lord brought into his life, Christine Crane, now young. Uh, I remember the night she was saved and brought to the Lord a uh, long time ago. Still a, a very dear, dear, precious memory that night. Um, and the truth of the matter is, when, when I, we got Jaron, uh, had been in our church, Christine started attending, got saved, got plugged in, was immediately just a, a great, great leader in our youth ministry here. And, and I was a little concerned about who, who the Lord was going to bring to her to marry because she was such a special, special young lady and had such a, a, a tender heart and, and was just a, a dear friend of ours, even though she was, I mean, we weren't that much older than our, than our kids in the youth group at the time. And when the Lord brought Jaron and Christine together, uh, I felt really, really good for Jaron. <laughs> and I figured Christine will make it work. <laughs> now, the Lord has been good to both of you to bring you two together. Uh, they're, they're, from, that, from our time in youth ministry here, there are, there's a lot of people that are so dear to us. Uh, some of you who are here today that are just so special to us. Um, and it is, it is truly uh, with, with sincere respect uh, and gratitude that I say thank you to both of you for your service to the Lord, uh, your time at this church, and, and what you guys meant to me uh, as a young youth minister who just needed someone uh, to, to help us out and to be a part of what we were doing. Uh, I, I love my job. I think I'm the luckiest man in the world, the most blessed man of the Lord to get to pastor where I do. I, I really believe that and feel that way. Um, but there's nothing in my life that is as dear to my heart as 1994 to 1998 when I served as the youth minister. I transitioned to the associate pastor here, which was a, a great time in my life. Um, but those years of doing youth ministry, when I had no idea what I was doing other than I just wanted to teach the Bible, and people like Jaron and Christine were a part of that. Others of you who are part of our church were a part of that. Uh, those, are, those are memories to me that, that I will hold literally forever. And I'm so, so grateful. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Uh, and it is weird for people to honor you, but it's good. It's good. And um, like we talked about earlier this week, this church has gratitude. They want to show you as a way to worship the Lord. So just deal with it, all right? If you've got your Bible, open with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're spending time this, all throughout this day with our men, uh, looking at what it means to be men of God. And I'm giving our men four words uh, that what it means to be a, a man of God. And we looked at in the Sunday school hour, the first word was that men of God look to the Lord. We look to the Lord. He is our, 
He's our Savior. He is our sin bearer. He is our Redeemer. And we want to look to Him. We want to live uh, as He calls us to live. We want to follow His example. But above all else, we want to look to Him as the only way of salvation. Men of God, look to the Lord. And in this second session here with the whole church, uh, I want to I want to give a second word to our men, and that for those who aren't a part of our conference, for uh, the ladies as well, that this will hopefully just be an encouraging word for you by itself. Uh, but men of God and all believers, secondly, love the Lord. We are to love the Lord, and and you may say, well, that that's that's pretty easy and that's pretty obvious. But but stay with me, and and let me show you why this is such an important thing to consider. Revelation chapter 2, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3 are seven letters from the Lord to churches. These are real churches, real cities, real people, and the Lord sends His word to the churches, which incidentally, can I just remind you of this, when the Lord wanted to get His word to Christians, He sent letters to the churches. Because it is the understanding of the Scripture that Christians gather as churches. What we do here today is not optional or marginal. This is the essence of what it means to be God's people. God's people gather together in local assemblies. So much so that when the Lord desired to get His Word to His people, He sent letters to the churches because that's where the believers would be. And so as we walk through the the book of Revelation, we see this unfolding, how the Lord gives these words to these seven specific churches. We're going to look this morning in just verses 1 to 7 of chapter 2 at the church of Ephesus. And we'll just begin with this. Understand that the greatest characteristic of a believer is that you love Christ. And there are a lot of ways that our love for Christ would be proven, that would be demonstrated to be legitimate. But to be a believer is to love the Lord. It's not just to be religious. It's not just to be a part of ceremony. It's not just to to have your name on a church roll or have friendships or connections. It is to love the Lord. And there are people today in churches all over the world that will be filled with people who are in churches singing songs and maybe even taking notes or giving an offering, but their hearts do not truly love the Lord. You say, well, why would they go? There's lots of reasons people go to church. People go to church because they want to keep their kids safe. They want their kids to have good friends. They go to church because it's a good place to, to make other friends. They go to church because it can be good for business. There's lots of reasons people go to church. What I want to ask you with today from the very beginning is do you love the Lord? Somebody comes to my office and says, Pastor, I, I'm struggling with my salvation, and, but the good thing is I know for sure when I was Nine years old, you know, I, I, I raised my hand at this church event, and, I, I, you know, I, I know at least for sure I did that. My, my question is really pretty simple. Do you love Jesus today? Do you love Christ today? Because to be a believer is to know and love Christ. 
So the Lord says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and with all of our mind. And so the Lord sends his words here to the church in Ephesus. And let me kind of take you back. Whenever we study the Bible, we always want to go back and make sure we understand what was happening at the time the Scripture was written. And understand that Ephesus, this city named Ephesus, was uh, the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire at the time, but it was the most important of the cities. It's where the Roman governor lived. It had a population of anywhere between 250 and 500,000 people. The city hosted athletic events similar to our modern-day Olympics. It was also famous because it was the center for the worship of the goddess Diana. Its temple was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Asia Minor was a pagan place filled with debauchery and worldliness, all kinds of sin. And in the midst of that is this city known as Ephesus that was home to the primary harbor there in Asia Minor, so it made it the entry point for people and for goods. And it was the convergence of four major trade routes in the area. All of that means this, that Ephesus is the center of culture and entertainment in the world. And it's the center of a culture that is incredibly sinful. This is not the place you would desire to go plant a church. This is a hard place to be. And in the midst of a sinful area filled with all kinds of worldliness, this small group of believers begins to gather and they even flourish. The Lord gave them great men that served as leaders for the early church and the church grew strong. So chapter 2, verse 1 to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. I want you to write down, if you're taking notes, number one, the progress of the church. The progress of the church. And he's mentioned here in this passage several things that the Lord says, I've seen this, I know this, I affirm this. First of all, he says, I know that you are working hard. He says, I know your toil. We get our English word copious, like, like to take copious notes, to labor hard, to be detailed, uh, to work to the point of exhaustion. He says to the church, I know who you are. I see you, and I know you work hard. That's a good thing. Secondly, the progress is seen in their patient endurance. He says, not only do I know your toil, but I know your patient endurance. 
It's a word that means to to remain under, to stay strong. You keep working. You keep doing what you're supposed to do. You patiently endure what God has called you to do. This church has been a faithful church for a long time because there are godly people here who patiently endure and keep doing the work of the Lord. That's no small thing. I've been gone for 19 years, and this is no exaggeration to say every day of my life, I reap the blessing and benefit from having been a member and a part of this church for nearly seven years. Every day of my life. Because there are people in this church that patiently endure. Listen, church life's not always easy. Would you agree with that? Ministry is not always easy or simple. In fact, sometimes ministry carries with it a lot of pain. I've been fortunate to serve in full-time ministry for 25 years. I can't imagine doing anything else. But I've got some scars to show for it. I love what I do. But it's not been without tears, and it's not been without pain, and it's not been without disappointment. And in the midst of those things, the godly church just remains and endures. You keep doing what's right, not because it's easy, not because everybody else does. People sometimes flee away, but the faithful church patiently endures. Keep going. The progress is seen that they work hard, they patiently endure, and thirdly, they fight against sin. This church is fighting against sin. He he says that I know, in verse 2, I know that you cannot bear with those who are evil. In other words, they don't take sin lightly. And can I tell you, church, you know this. Can I just remind you, one of the things the true church must do is love people and have compassion for those who are broken, but we never stop being faithful to God's Word. And what God's Word calls sin, we call sin. If we appeal to the culture and lose our fidelity to Scripture, whatever we have gained is nothing but total loss. Because true life is found in believing the eternal words of God. And so what this church in Ephesus has done is they have worked hard, they have endured suffering, and they have been willing to fight sin. Church, don't ever lose your compassion for people. Don't ever lose your willingness to struggle with those who are hurting. Don't ever forget that that we are all sinners and we are all broken and praise God for grace and praise God for mercy and compassion. Yet you fight against sin. We keep fighting against sin and that's what the church of Ephesus is doing. Let me show you a fourth thing they're doing well that shows their progress. They have discernment. Notice it says here that they have tested those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and they found them to be false. Now history, we know some about what's going on here. You had Judaizers, you had those who were known as Gnostics, you had antinomians, you had all kinds of false teachers there. How do you know if someone's a false teacher? You test what they say against the Word of God. 
It's critically important. In fact, just at my church in Mustang last week, a family who was visiting our church, uh, I talked to them after the service, and uh, she said to me, she said, I, I loved being here. She said, I'll tell you what I, what I need to do next week when we come back. I need to bring my Bible. And I, I said, sure, that'd be great. And she said, I'm embarrassed to say this, but she said, I've gone to church for years and years and years. I've just gotten used to not even needing my Bible in church anymore. And she said, I looked around the congregation, and she said, I saw hundreds of people with the Bible open, and she thought, I'm in a weird place. Not in a bad way, just this is a strange place. Church, let that be true here. Be people who open your Bible, be people who follow it closely, who study it and read it, and that you know right from wrong, that you can discern truth from error. That's what the Lord is saying of the church of Ephesus, that he loves about them. I mean, if, if the Lord physically were here present today and he said, Emmaus, would you like to know what I think you're doing well? That'd be an interesting conversation. We'd want to know that. We'd want to hear that. And that's what he does the church of Ephesus. He says, I've seen your progress. You're working hard. You've got hardworking people. They are people that endure. They are people who are fighting sin. They are people who or recognize false teachers, and then he gives them a fifth mark of progress that they are rightly motivated. He says that you have endured for my name's sake. That's so important at the end of verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently and you're bearing up for my name's sake. This is the motivation of all true worship and ministry that we serve and we worship for the sake, not of our name, but the sake of his name. I mean, this church has had a lot of people here at Emmaus, a lot of people that have made this church what it is. You've had great men who have preached the word and taught the word and great ladies who have served in this church and, and so many families who have given and sacrificed for the good of this church for so many years, but there's not one person that's been a member of this church whose name alone sustains anything. Only the name of Christ. It's only the name of Christ. And Jesus says that this is what I love about the church of Ephesus. You work hard, you endure, you fight sin, you call out the false teachers, and all of it is motivated for the desire to make much of the name of Christ. If you want to know if you're in a faithful church, ask yourself that question. Do these people love to bring glory to the name of Christ? That's the progress of the church. And that's all good news. But secondly, there's a problem. And we see it in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. That's stinging. The Lord himself says to the church of Ephesus, you're still working hard, you still know your doctrine, you're still battling for doctrinal purity. He says, I've just got one problem with you, that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. They had a love problem. Let me give you a little history here. Four decades have passed from the time that this church was founded 
until the time that, that this letter is now being received by them. In the course of those 40-some years, the passion of the first generation has cooled and they have passed down to the second generation this steady, diligent work that's void of the love that they first knew. Loving devotion has now been replaced by a dutiful coldness. And friends, we need to be careful here. Because obviously, I'm talking to people who have come. You're here. You've chosen to be here. You're here because something compelled you and made you want to come and be a part of worship today. But friends, can I ask you to check your heart? Because the church at Ephesus, they kept coming too. And they were called out because of their lack of love. It is possible to have a, what's been called a mechanical piety. Where you keep doing the right things. And you keep going to the right places. And you keep singing the right words. But there's a lack of love. Understand, this word is being delivered to the church. When the Lord wanted to speak to His church, He sends a letter to the congregation and to the people who are attending. To the very ones who are still fighting for doctrinal purity and still fighting to to fight against sin, He says to them, your progress is clear. Here's the problem I have for you. You've lost your love you had. They've lost their passion. Emmaus, what this means is it is possible to have right belief and even right habits and good endurance. And if there is no passion, the Lord is not glorified. Think about that. He doesn't merely want you to stand and sing and bow and pray and open and read. All those things should be a part of the Christian life, absolutely. But He wants His people to love Him. To know Christ truly is to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and that demands that we love Him. So I have to ask you, congregation, do you see in your heart a growing love for Christ? People who are belonging to the Lord love Him. And you say, but, but why harp on this? We're all here. Here's the reason. Because everyone who received this condemnation, they were at church too. And the Lord said, I have this against you. You're a strong people. You're a smart people. You're a patient people, he says to Ephesus. But you need to be a more loving people. Men of God, women of God, love the Lord. They love the Lord. The problem with Ephesus is they had sunk to this place where they are still carrying out their responsibilities 
just with a diminishing love for the Lord and for people. Marcia and I got married while I served here. Uh, we got married May 18th, 1996, which means we've been married for 23 and a half years. So, year and a half, we're going to be at 25. Some of you were at our wedding, and the reason that should make you feel old is, well, because it means we are. 25 years of being married, soon to be, 23 and a half now. I want to keep being a good husband. I want to keep providing for my family. I want to keep doing the right things. My wife wants me, needs for me to keep doing the right things. But she does not want me going through the motions. Wives, can you tell the difference? You bet you can. My wife wants me to keep doing what I can do to help her, to serve her, and to be a husband to her, but she wants it to be motivated by a heart of love and passion, not some cold, mechanical commitment that just says, I don't care how I feel, I'll just do it. That's not what she wants. And she's a sinner. How much more does a God who is holy and perfect, who sent His Son to die for us, how much more does He deserve us to worship Him with love and to love Him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength? You say, Pastor, are you telling me that it's possible to come to church every single Sunday and do family devotions at night and have a waning love for the Lord, that's exactly what the Lord is telling you. It's exactly what His Word says. But if, if we keep working hard, doesn't that make it okay? If we keep enduring, doesn't that make it okay? If we keep teaching Sunday school, doesn't that make up for it? The Word of the Lord is, no! I have this against you, He says. In other words, this is a problem for which nothing else covers up. We have to expose this and we have to deal with it. Now here's the good news. He gives us a prescription of what we do. Look at verse 5. Three words I want to give you. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. He says, remember in fact, the language here suggests you keep on remembering. Church forgetfulness is often the initial cause of spiritual decline. You need to remember who the Lord is. You need to remember what He's done for you. Sometimes when you are serving the Lord and sometimes when you're doing ministry, when you're working in preschool and when you're teaching seventh grade boys and when you're teaching senior adult class, sometimes you look around and you start to think, is the Lord really using me? Is this really making a difference? Is my life, is my ministry really counting for something? Sometimes we get discouraged. And sometimes when we get discouraged, we forget how the Lord has been at work 
and we forget that God is faithful, then we begin to forget that can become a condition that causes our heart to begin to lose a sense of love and passion. And if you're really strong, you'll keep doing what you've committed to do, but you'll do it with a lack of love. And the Lord says, if that's you, remember. Remember, he says, remember what he's done for you. Remember his love for you. Remember how he demonstrated his love for you. Remember how he saved you. Remember how he took you as a sinner and covered your sin. Remember all that he has given you. Remember what is promised to you as a believer. Remember the promise of heaven. Remember he will never leave you or forsake you. Church, remember who your God is. It's one of the things the church needs to do so often is just take time to stop and remember who the Lord is. Second thing he says is we need to repent. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. The next word in verse 5, repent. We need to repent. If need be, repent that we have not been growing in our love. Repent that we have tried to serve the Lord without loving people. Understand this, church. Sometimes what we do as believers is we begin to serve out of this mechanical piety because our love for the Lord's not growing. I'll tell you something else we'll excuse sometimes is we'll keep doing ministry work all the while our love for people is waning and we think that God is honored because we keep doing the right things. We just don't love people. That's not worship. Worship is when we remember who the Lord is what He has done for us, and then we ask Him to increase our love for Him and our love for people so that everything we do is motivated with love for His name's sake. Teenagers, you got to catch this. you got to catch this because this world is telling you over and over and over that the thing that matters most is you. There's one problem with that. It's not true. If you're a believer, you've been bought with a price. You belong to God. His name supersedes your name. His will is more important than your will. And we want to live for the sake of His name. And the way that you live that out is by loving Christ and loving people. And if you don't love to serve people, you've completely missed what the body of Christ is all about. Which means church, our teenagers, ought to be flooded with adults in this church that are faithful examples to them of what it means not just to keep showing up but to love the Lord and to love His people. Are you increasing in love? He says, remember, repent, and then he says to return. Return to the Lord. Repent and do the works you did at first. Now look at this as we close. If not... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The Lord is serious about this warning. I'll tell you what is 
very challenging to me. I'm a pretty disciplined person. I live a fairly regimented life. I love my job. I love to study. I love to work. Um, a perfect day off for me is a day spent working. I just, I just love to work. And because that's just kind of who I am, I'm going to keep showing up. I'll keep being there. I'm going to be in the office. I'm going to be at church. I'm going to keep doing the work. I'm going to keep studying. I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep doing the work. Let me tell you what scares me. Sometimes people who keep showing up and keep doing the work do that with a lack of love, and they don't even realize it. To people like that, the Lord says, repent. Even if you're doctrinally sound, if you're low on love, repent. Even if you're still fighting sin, if you don't love, repent. Even if you're patiently enduring and you're dealing with all kinds of hardships and you keep doing the right thing, if your heart is not motivated by love in His name, He says, repent. Remember who He is and repent and return to your first love. It's interesting that in the end, the Lord did remove their lampstand. There is no city of Ephesus and there is no church that was there. This church died. People who were doctrinally pure, fighting sin, and strong, died because they did not love well. For close to seven years, I came to this address every day. Marsh and I lived less than half a mile from here. She taught me to drive a standard in this parking lot. And she almost left me because I couldn't figure it out. I almost killed her right there in the car. Not because I wanted to, I just couldn't get the car to go smoothly. We came to this address for work, and for church, and for worship. And can I tell you that the seven years I spent here, I was surrounded by people who loved well. I have no doubt, no doubt, that this church is filled with faithful, loving people. But if the Lord sends a word to his church, reminding even the strong church to not let your love wane, then it's a word we all need to hear. The Lord does not want you just to show up and just to be strong. He wants you to love him. So here's what I'd like to do. We're going to sing a final song of response. And I'd like to encourage you, those who are physically able to, if you would be willing to, to come to this altar and pray. So our men, 
men's conference. Men, if you're able to, it would be a fitting thing for you to lead your families here. If you're not physically able to, then feel free to pray at your chair or feel free to stand as, as, as the music is played. But if you're able to, I want to invite you to come and men, the deacons of our church, to, to lead the way here and just to kneel down and say, God, help me to love you faithfully. Men of God, people of God, love the Lord. If we're struggling, let's remember, let's repent, and let's return. Would you prayerfully stand with me this morning? Lord, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we, we want to be a people that are faithful. We want to be a people that are strong. We want to be a people that are committed. But Lord, we do not want to grow loveless as we do so. And so I want to ask, Lord, that you would in these next three or four minutes help us to have a heart filled with love. And, and where that is a struggle or a problem, may you show that to us and convict us. And then would you grant us what we need from your spirit that we could repent and return and have a heart that loves above all things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.